Well, thank you, Graham, for your words of welcome. Uh, I was sad about George's passing during the week um, to be at the funeral service. And I think I saw some of you there from a distance, at least. Um, so the last time I, that I was here, I spoke, I can't even remember when that was. Was that last week or a week before? Sometime, anyway, sometime recently. <laughs> so I spoke on Acts chapter 18, which is about the finding of the church at Corinth. And uh, I just want to look today at um, the first section in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about, well, maybe somewhere in the territory of about three to four years after the founding of the church, he wrote this letter. He had left Corinth. He had gone back uh, to Antioch and Jerusalem, and he came back to Ephesus, and he spent three years in Ephesus. And towards the end of his time in Ephesus, he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, uh, largely because the church was a bit chaotic, and there were some uh, serious issues that needed to be addressed by the apostles. So uh, let's read from verse 1, although I really only want to look at verses 4 to 10 of chapter 1. Paul, um, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, um, our Lord. Well, Corinth, it seemed, grew into a fairly big church. Um, we know from Acts chapter 18 and verse 10 that God gave Paul a vision when he was in Corinth and told him not to leave the city because there were many people in the city that he wanted to save. And, of course, we would believe that God would um, follow through on that promise that he made to Paul and that many people were converted, became Christians, and became part of the church. And it seems that it was a big church, this church in Corinth. It was a large church, and it was an exciting church, I think, when you read through um, the book of Corinthians, and when you think a little bit about the city of Corinth in the first century, which we tried to do last time, uh, it, it, it's clear to me that it was a big church and it was an exciting church to belong to. But here's a point that's worth just flagging up from the beginning. Although it was a big church, an exciting church, it was anything but a perfect church. Um, 
one of the facts that most people have at their fingertips when it comes to the church in Corinth is that it was a bit of a mess. It was divided. There were cliques within the church at Corinth. There were groups lining up behind their favorite personality in the church who served up the Christian message, if you will, the way that they liked it, the way that they liked it. And they were in that camp, and there were others over there, well, they belonged to a different camp, and there were cliques within um, this church. Many of the members in the church in Corinth were quite snobbish. When they had fellowship lunch, the rich kept to themselves and largely ignored the poor. It would seem that things like church discipline was virtually non-existent in the church at Corinth. There was a guy, chapter 5, sleeping with his father's wife, and uh, probably because he was a high member of society, no one was prepared to do anything about it. Nobody was prepared to tackle him. Church discipline, it would appear, had gone out the window. Uh, they were unprepared to submit to authority. The Apostle Paul's apostolic authority was quick was frequently being questioned. There was a lack of love amongst the members. They were prepared to take each other to court. The rich were taking the poor to court just to get their last cent and to make sure that they made their point, that they were right, and it didn't matter who uh, was hurt in the process. They had little regard for the opinions or the weaknesses of others in the church. People were prepared to exercise what they termed their Christian freedom. And they would go to temple feasts and they would uh, do all kinds of things. And they didn't care that it was offending and upsetting Christians who had been saved out of that background. They just went ahead and exercised their Christian um, freedom regardless of who was caused to stumble by it. So it was a church like any other church, whether it's modern or ancient. It was a church that was full of problems, and it was a church that was full of sin. Um, even the great churches of the 21st century are full of problems and full of sin. Even churches like um, Parkside in Ohio and Cleveland, Ohio, or Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, um, even these great churches that have great preachers or have had great preachers are full of problems and they are full of sin. And if we don't know that, their pastors or those who work there certainly do. There are no perfect churches because church is made up of people. It's like trying to build with bananas. There are humps and bumps and bits sticking out here and there and everywhere. And it's well nigh, well, it's not impossible, but it's a difficult task this task of bringing sinners together and keeping uh, one another on the same page and united around Christ. But as Paul looks at the humps and bumps of this church, he sees them first and foremost in Christ. He'll examine the warts, he will look at the problems, but before he goes on to address the problems, it's interesting to notice that he just stops for a few minutes and rejoices with them about what they have in Christ. They are recipients of God's grace. They have been gifted by the Holy Spirit as a church body. They've been blessed with all the riches of Christ for whose coming they await. They will be presented blameless at the end of the age in, the, in God's presence because of the righteousness of Christ. So he just stops for a few minutes and he looks beyond the problems. 
And he starts to think about what they are in Christ. And he rejoices in that and he waxes eloquently about that. How different church might be if we were to look beyond the problems and start thinking about what we are together in Christ. How different the church would feel if we would look beyond the problems and think about who we are and what we are and what we have in Christ. Well, I just have three points. They'll be very simple. Uh, there's a gracious God um, that Paul flags up. Um, there's a gifted church and there's a glorious future. Those are the three things. They're dead simple. First of all, there is a, a gracious God, or if you like, there's a grateful apostle, if you want to put it slightly differently, but he just picks up on the grace of God to this church. And as he does so, he picks up on two things as he gives thanks for the church at Corinth. First of all, he's thankful for their existence. He's thankful for uh, their existence. He says, I thank God for you. He just thanks God that the church in Corinth actually exists. It's a miracle that a group of believers would exist and that they would come together Sunday by Sunday for the purpose of worship in a depraved, debased place like Corinth. And Paul, as he writes to the Corinthian church, he's just amazed that the church actually exists in Corinth. The lifestyle of the people in this city was anything but conducive to them becoming followers of Jesus. They were pagans. Uh, they worshipped not only the, the, the emperor and within the context of the imperial cult, but they also were involved in worship in the love temple on that huge hill that overshadowed Corinth. It was a city where people were driven by success. Uh, ruthless business people who were eager, eager to climb the ladder of achievement lived in Corinth. It was a city where Roman culture and Roman, the Roman way of life was cherished and celebrated. Who would ever want to become part of this little band of people who were despised and deemed to be a sect? It was truly amazing that they had come to faith and that the church had been established in this den of iniquity. They may not have been perfect. They may have had a long way to go. They may have had many problems to fix out. But their existence was something to be rejoiced in. And it was something for which the Apostle Paul was just thankful to God. And sure, the Christian church isn't perfect. But it's amazing, isn't it? That it's an amazing body that has been brought into existence and is being sustained by God himself. And Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even here in Moodysburg, it's amazing that God has brought together a little group of people to worship him and to reach out with the light of the gospel. Yeah, during the week, we had somebody from Asia Link speaking to the students in the college where I work. And uh, he's speaking about the church in Iraq. It's amazing. This guy stood on a hill and they were looking out over a city where the church existed. And then he looked over towards Mosul and Tikrit. And he says, it won't be long until there's a church in both Mosul and Tikrit. And the amazing thing is that 
in the least expected places and out of the least expected people group, God reaches in and he saves people and he brings them together and he unites them in Christ and together they begin to worship him and they begin to hold out the gospel to their community. And, and, and the, the existence of the church is nothing short of just a miracle. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, I just thank God for you. I just thank, that, thank God that you actually exist that you're there shining in Corinth in this decadent city. The second thing that he uh, is thankful to God for uh, as he uh, thinks about God's grace, he's thankful uh, for the grace that they have received in Christ Jesus. God's grace is God's undeserved favor or his undeserved help. It's God's kindness to us that we don't deserve. And the Corinthians were Christians not just because they deserved, not because they deserved it, but because God is gracious and merciful and abounding in love. And he delights in reaching into broken, messed up lives and changing them. And as Paul writes to these Corinthians, he's thankful that they've been made the recipients of God's grace in Christ Jesus even though they in no way deserved it. God sent his only beloved son into this world to live a perfect, righteous life on their behalf. He sent him to a cruel cross to die for their sins so that they could go free, so that they wouldn't have to bear the penalty of their own sins. None of this they deserved. It's a gift of God's grace, his great kindness. He reaches out to people. These Corinthians may not have been a very impressive bunch of people. They may not have had much going for them as far as their lives together were concerned. Later, uh, he will tell them that not many of them were wise, not many of them were mighty, not many of them were noble. Some of them were. Some of them came from the higher end of society, but most of them came from the lower end of society but they've been made recipients of the grace of God in Jesus. His loveliness made up for all of their faults and failings. His holiness covered all of their sinfulness. His death secured their future. His strength compensated for their weakness. Paul is just thinking about the Corinthians and he's thinking about what they have in Christ. And he's just thankful. They heard the call of the gospel, it was effective in their life, and they became followers um, of, of Jesus. And, uh, you know, this puts into uh, perspective the, the rows that they are having over various high-flying personalities in the church. So one group I'm of Apollos, he's a brilliant preacher. You want to hear him preach? He's so eloquent. Another group says, well, I'm of Peter, he's a traditionalist. I like my Christianity served up in traditional Jewish fashion. And Paul writes to them and says, who are any of these guys? Did any of them save you? No, it was Jesus that saved you. It's his righteousness that has been transferred to your account. It's Jesus's death that has resulted in your sins being washed away and the slate being wiped clean. So as he writes to them, he's thankful to God that they exist. And secondly, he's, exact, he's thankful to God for the grace that they've received in Christ. Well, here's the second thing that I want you to think about. Not only uh, is there a gracious God, but secondly, there's a gifted church. And he talks about them here being enriched. As sinners saved by grace, um, 
they're not only saved from certain condemnation, they've been enriched in Christ. And this enrichment, so in, enriched means they've been made rich. This enrichment that Paul is talking about has to do first and foremost with their giftedness. And you'll come to that in a minute or two. But uh, he talks about the word of Christ being confirmed in them. Um, during the 18 months that Paul had spent in Corinth preaching and teaching the wonders of Christ to these new converts, the word of God, the word of Christ had been confirmed in their hearts. The Holy Spirit had caused God's word to take root in their hearts and to begin to shape them and mold them and make them into the people that God wanted them to be. They began to understand the, the extent of the spiritual riches that they had in Christ. So in that sense, God's word had been confirmed in them. In that sense, they'd been made rich. They understood forgiveness. You could see that they were rich in forgiveness, that the slate had been wiped clean. They were rich in love. They could see that they were rich in things like love. God loved them with an unchanging, everlasting love that would never falter and would never fluctuate. There would never be a time when God would love them more than he did as Paul wrote to them. Never ever would there be a time when God would love them more than he did at that point in their lives. They could see that they were rich in purpose. Their lives were in God's hands. They weren't corks bobbing on the wild oceans of life. They were children in the hand of a father who cared for them and was absolutely committed to them. We have forgotten, I think, how rich we are. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We may have nothing. We may own nothing but the clothes that we wear from day to day, but in Christ we have everything. And that's what Paul is rejoicing in here as he thinks about how rich this church is. And that reminds me of a number of things. It reminds me that the, as I think about Paul saying the word of Christ was confirmed in you, it reminds me that the task of the preacher is not to entertain people with a bunch of stories. It is to unveil the riches that we have in Christ so that people might see who they are and what they are in Jesus. That's what we need more than anything else, to see who we are and what we are in Christ. And uh, Paul is here uh, just rejoicing in the fact that these folks are enriched. But really what he's thinking about is their giftedness. You are not lacking any spiritual gift, he says. You don't lack any spiritual gift as a church. Now, Paul isn't saying this to any individual. It's important to just note that. No individual can say, I don't lack any spiritual gift. No individual can say that. No one has all the gifts that are given by God to his people. Some people may be gifted at preaching and teaching, and others are not. Some people may be gifted at be gifted at administration and organization. Other people are not. So what is Paul saying here when he says you don't lack any good gift? He's saying that as a body, God has ensured that you have all the gifts that you need to function as you ought to, as you ought to function. That's why it's important for us to see that there's no such a thing as a solo run to heaven. You know, people become Christians and then think, well, I'll just do Christianity on my own. That, that was, that's never how it was intended to be. God gifts the church. 
And he gives some gift to individuals over here and some gifts to individual over here. And, 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 and together as a body, we don't lack any spiritual gifts. God gives us as, as a body, the church, everything that we need to function. Of course, the, the big issue in the church at Corinth is that um, not everybody was using their gift and not everyone was getting a chance to use their gifts in the church at Corinth. There were high-flying individuals who were parading their gifts at the front of the church. And then there were other folks who felt, well, I have nothing to contribute. I'm, I'm, I'm just a nobody that nobody notices. Nobody really wants to hear from me or I, I have nothing to give. And, and Paul writes in chapter 12, you can look at this, he writes to them when he talks about the church being a body. He says, every part of the body is important. Even the parts that we don't count very honorable. Like you can live without your left arm and you can live without your left foot or your right foot, but you can't live without your intestines. And you wouldn't count your intestines very honorable. And so Paul says, some of you think that you're just nobodies, but you're fundamentally important to the functioning of the church. And you ought to put your gifts to you. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to them, you are enriched. You've got a gracious God and you've got, you're a gifted church. You're gifted in the sense that the word of God has taken root in your hearts and lives. And you're gifted in the sense that God has given you the gifts that you need to function as a church, as a body in Corinth. Use your gifts to encourage one another and to glorify God. And I ask you, are you using the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of the body, for one another? Are you serving one another? And, and are people getting a chance to use their gifts? Because not everybody was in Corinth. And here's the last thing. Not only do they have a gracious God, and not only are they a gifted church, but they are, thirdly, a, they have a glorious future. Christians wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 8, you'll see that... Uh, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ is described as the day of the Lord. And of course, it's speaking about the second coming, the day when Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, whatever your theology around that might look like. Um, and there's two things that, that Paul picks up on when he thinks about these Corinthians, two things. One, he picks up on, on the fact that uh, God will be faithful to his promise. He says, the Lord Jesus will confirm you to the end. The Lord Jesus will confirm you to the end. He must have been asking himself, you know, will these Corinthians, here he is writing to them three years after the church has been founded. He must have been asking himself, will these folk make it? Will they make it? Or will they just drop out of the race? And, uh, you know, will the pool of the priestess, priestesses of Epaphrodite, or Epaphrodite that serves in uh, in the temple of love at the top of the Acrocorn. Will the will will the lure of those sacred priestesses prove too much for the men in the church? Or will some of the temple feasts that take place in Corinth will that pull them away from the Christian church so that they'll just drop out? And here's his confidence: the Lord Jesus will confirm you. Or in the ESV, which I read, it says. The Lord Jesus will sustain you to the end. Or the NIV says the Lord Jesus will keep us strong to the end. Those whom God calls, he also glorifies. Those whom God saves, he keeps. 
It was Jesus who said in John 17, those whom you have given to me, I have lost none. Save Judas, but he was a devil. Those whom the father gave to the son, Jesus lost none of them, none of them. It's not that we are saved and left to do whatever we like. That's not what's being said here. What's being said is that God will keep us strong. God will keep us in the way until the day of the Savior's appearing. The perseverance of the saints includes the fact that the saints will persevere. Endurance is one of the great marks of authenticity. And behind all of this is the fact that God is faithful. You know, and isn't that true? You think about your own Christian life. I think about my Christian life. If it had been left to me, I'd have changed my mind a thousand times from the day that I first believed until now. I would have changed my mind a thousand times. And the only reason that I'm still here and still trying at least to go on with Jesus is because God promises to sustain us to the end. Because God gives us the grace that we need, that, because God keeps his hand upon us for good. And that's what Paul is, as he thinks about this church in this decadent city, he thinks to himself, how in the world will we ever survive? Will we ever stay the course? And then he falls back on his anchor. God will sustain you to the end. And if God doesn't, you'll fall flat on your spiritual face. But he believes with all his heart that God will sustain them. And then finally, he talks about their favorite position. Uh, this is striking, isn't it? Um, he says that God will pre present you blameless. Not only will God sustain you to the end, but he says that they will be presented blameless on the last day. See, I think this is one of the most amazing things about being a Christian. Not only have we been forgiven, but we've been made positively righteous in Christ. See, it's not just that God wipes the slate clean and says, I'm going to give you a new start. God actually makes you positively rich in righteousness because he transfers to your account the righteousness of his son. And, and on the day of Christ's appearing, we will stand faultless in his presence. You say, well, what about all the sins that we've, we've, we've committed? All of those sins will be forgiven. You say, well, what about the fact that I failed to do the things that I knew I should have done? You will be presented righteous, not in yourself, but in Christ. Well, that isn't to say how we live isn't important. Of course, it's important. If we loved him and we've been changed by him, we will want to be at our best for him. And if we haven't been changed by him and we've no desire to be at our best for him, there's a fundamental problem. But what Paul is saying about these Corinthians is that they will be presented blameless in Christ. We will stand as Christians at the Bema Seat of Christ, and we will be judged for the way that we used our talents. But no one soul on the last day will be less blameless than another. For all of us as Christians will be presented blameless in the same righteousness, which is not our own, it is the righteousness of Christ. This is what is offered to us this morning. No condemnation, forgiveness, and righteousness. Isn't that an incredible statement? Paul writes to this church and he thinks about them living in this decadent city. And he thinks about them with all of their problems. And read through 1 Corinthians. This is a church that's an absolute mess. 
from top to bottom, but he's convinced that when the last day comes, they'll be presented blameless because it's not about them, it's about Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus has been transferred to their account and the Father will look at them through the beloved and they will be accepted. And, and that's our only hope, isn't it, as Christians? Goodness, if we were trying, if we were depending on our own righteousness, whoever would even lift their face in God's presence? None of us. Our hope is in Christ. A doc, after a doctor's death, his widow was going through his books and she noted that there was a bill still outstanding. But written across the ledger in bold letters was the word forgiven. But the lady wasn't as generous as her late husband and she decided she was going to pursue the money to the bitter end. So she went and sought some legal help from a friend and he took the book from her and he um, and, and, and uh, he, 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 he read through it and he saw the bill and, and then he saw the words forgiven and he, he looked at the woman and he said, listen, there isn't a judge in this country could claim a single thing from that man whom your husband forgave. If your husband has forgiven him the debt, he is forgiven, absolved. No one can touch him. No one can claim a single penny from, from him. And that's the wonder of being a Christian. Every sin paid for in full, blotted out, clothed in the goodness of another. And that is, uh, and that other is none other than the lovely son of God. This is the life of grace. The grace that we enjoy ensures that we will enjoy tomorrow. You know, I was thinking about this recently. Um, on the last day, in the courtroom of heaven, there'll be an accuser there, and he will say, when, I, when my turn comes and, and, and God says, what about you, Murdoch? How do you ever expect to get in here? You're a rat and rascal. And, and what about that sin? The accuser will say, what about that sin that he committed there? My advocate will stand and say, that sin, your majesty, was paid for in full at the cross. Well, what about that sin? That sin was also paid for in full. My only hope of being presented blameless is that God has forgiven me in Christ and all of the righteousness of Christ has been transferred to my account, and I will be accepted in his loveliness. So as Paul writes to this church that's chaotic and an absolute mess, doesn't he begin in such a positive way? Oh, but you have a gracious God, and you are a gifted church, and you have a glorious future, he says to them. And that's the amazing thing about being a Christian with all of our weaknesses, we have a gracious God who has gifted us as a church and we have a glorious future.